I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. I'm Guy Barter. In today's podcast, we're pushing aside the January gloom to hear about some exciting plans for this year's Chelsea Flower Show. We joined the massed ranks of the UK's horticultural media to learn about some of the designers' inspirational visions for this year's show gardens. Stay tuned for exclusive interviews with multiple RHS medal winner Matt Keatley and Baroness Floella Benjamin. Plus, we'll be sorting through our advice team mailbox to hear some of the gardening problems that have been vexing you this year. But first, botanist James Armitage continues his series of portraits of some of the more unusual plants in Wisley's collections. Surely one of the reasons that dinosaurs continue to exert such a powerful force on our collective imagination is their differentness. How alien and strange to conjure in the mind a world populated in inconceivable diversity by creatures clad not in fur, but in scales. Similarly, as the camellias bravely boast their brazen blossom and the first snowdrops shoulder the way above ground, it is hard to picture how our planet must have been in a time before flowers. However, for hundreds of millions of years, this was exactly the situation that pertained when the botanical life on Earth was dominated by horsetails, ferns, cycads and conifers. The arrival of flowering plants saw a massive reduction in range and species number for these ancient plant groups, but all have persisted in their reduced state into the present day, and among the conifers in particular are counted some of the most remarkable plants in existence. At over 5,000 years old, the oldest living tree is a conifer, Pinus longiva, which grows high up in the mountains of western USA. In California can be found the world's tallest tree, Sequoia sempervirens, the coast redwood, and its most massive tree, Sequoia dendron giganteum, the giant redwood. It is notable that all these are North American species. It seems, as with cars, buildings and portion size, that when it comes to plant life, things are done on a bigger scale in the States. So perhaps it is not surprising that the largest cones of any conifer also belong to an American tree, Pinus culturae, the big cone pine. Found in California and northern Baja, California, the early loggers who harvested its timber gave Pinus culturae the nickname Widowmaker because of the lethal potential of its cones when they are jettisoned after releasing their seeds. The threat was a genuine one. Each cone can grow to 12 inches long and weigh as much as 5 pounds. The species was discovered in 1832 by Dr Thomas Coulter, an Irish physician, 
and introduced to the UK by the indefatigable David Douglas in the same year. However, it has never been widely grown in British gardens and rarely makes a fine specimen, perhaps not finding the climate to its liking. One splendid exception is the handsome tree that grows at RHS Garden Wisley, which is the largest in Britain and Ireland. The exact origin of this tree is uncertain. It was received as seed, along with that of several other Californian pines, on 30th November 1953. The donor was Sir George Taylor, plant explorer, keeper of botany at the British Museum, director of the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew, and holder of the RHS Victoria Medal of Honour. Records show he spent part of 1953 collecting plants in the Himalaya, but not North America, so presumably the seeds were gathered for him by some other unknown hand. The big cone pine that grew from the seed was planted almost absent-mindedly at the head of the trials field, overlooked by the propagation units. Thriving on neglect, it grew large on its warm south-facing slope, and in time started producing the huge cones for which its kind is famed. Once fallen from the tree, it has often seemed too much of a pity to leave these extraordinary structures to disintegrate in the elements, and for decades they have found a permanent home on the desks of Wisley curators and other RHS staff. It is a shame that a more prominent spot was not chosen for such a magnificent plant, and most visitors to Wisley will walk past the Pinus culturae without sparing it a glance. But changes are afoot. Over the coming years, the landscape to the north of the Big Cone Pine will be remodelled and opened up, so at last this marvel of vegetation will be given the setting it deserves. Further, seeds taken from its giant strobily have been germinated, and the young seedlings planted out just a cone's throw from their parent. Little monsters from a bygone time, like baby dinosaurs. James Armitage. You can see illustrations, photos and find more information about all the plants James has talked about on the RHS website. You can also revisit his back catalogue and hear any previous episodes of the series you may have missed. This year might be young, but the inbox is already filling up. So let's hear some of the gardening questions our advice team have received recently. Right, this is the first time you've answered your questions in 2018. Our mailbags are bulging and with me I've got Rebecca Mealy, Jenny Bowden, myself Lee Hunt, all horticultural advisors here to answer your gardening questions. Right, well the first question is from Theresa Lunn by mail. I've purchased a three foot high living Christmas tree in a wooden pot with a view to reusing it year after year. How do I tell if it needs repotting? Do I have to store it in the ground and dig it up next year? My soil is quite heavy. What should I do? Right, well, it's a very popular thing. They've become very reasonable. Um, So I'm sure she's not the only one. No, I don't think so. But I think what I'd look at is how the drainage of that pot, because sometimes with wooden pots, they can actually be lined with plastic. So it's a case of actually checking what the condition of the pot is. If it's quite a heavy clay soil, I might look at actually keeping it in the pot rather than faffing around, digging it up each year. Um, And because it will quite happily live in a a decent sized container as long as you've got the right soil in there. So that's like having a, a nice um, John Innes loam based soil like a John Innes number three and then you've got a bit of food in there for it too. Jenny would you repot it now? I'd probably wait until spring when soil's going to be warming up a bit and you'll know if it needs repotting. Um, if you've got good drainage you'll actually see the roots coming out the bottom of the pot and then I would repot it into the John Innes compost that Becky was talking about um, but don't go up a massive amount all in one go the roots will fill it up quite quickly do it gradually otherwise the plant will become too big for the pot too quickly 
The other thing you can do is actually, after a couple of years, is actually trim the roots so that you don't have to keep potting it on into a bigger and bigger and bigger pot. And it just, just helps slow down the growth a bit. And again, you would do that in the spring just to uh, contain the size a bit. I think the thing that I'm remembering from what you're saying as well as watering is key because if we don't keep this nicely moist all through the summer the lower needles will all start to go yellow and drop off and once uh, they do that it's no point of no return also when you've got them in the home is keeping them away from the radiator and keeping the humidity there because that's you know our central heating is very good at actually drying them out I think when I repot each year, I would actually incorporate some controlled release fertilizers. So it comes under the name of uh, Miracle Grow. There's Miracle Grow pellets and there's Osmocote. But basically, they're those little little balls, little tiny balls, which release the fertilizer as the soil warms up and as the soil is moist. So with a few simple steps, it should have a tree for years to come. Yeah, good value. Carol Minto from London's written in. And she said, my grass dies every February and I have to plant a new lawn every April. What am I doing wrong? I don't want to have fake grass. Well, there's a few questions that she could ask herself. Is it very shady for a start? That's probably one of the the main reasons uh, that grass doesn't grow, especially in a lot of London properties. You've got walls and the buildings themselves and trees in gardens. If you get less than about five hours of sun, four to five hours of good quality light, ideally sun when it's out, then you should be able to grow a lawn uh, like a, a shade mix. Um, but even a shade mix won't thrive in less than that number of hours. Um, the other thing is the drainage. So uh, she could try to spike the, the grass. But I should think the light is probably going to be the main reason for it. Mm, I um, think light and soil conditions. So mm. very wet, so it'll make it go muddy and then rot it. So that could be part of it. Um, obviously, the soil is probably easier to change than the light. Mm. So um, you've mentioned about spiking. But as we're actually having to dig up and replant this lawn every year, if you're finding that soil is sticky, wet, so a clay-based soil, then trying in this case trying to dig in quite a lot of sand so literally um putting about a two inch or five centimeter layer of sand and forking it into the surface and then putting your new lawn on top of that it's going to create a good drainage layer underneath and that should solve the problem for most lawns have to remember if it was a sports turf so something like a football pitch it'd almost be practically growing in sand so we can afford to make it quite a bit freer draining also, if it's getting hard wear, it was the other thing I was wondering about. And when it's wet and muddy, that's going to rub off the grass much uh, more easily. So again, that like on a sports turf, creating a freer draining surface underneath will help that as well. Yeah, and there are quite a few seed mixes which are quite roughy tufty, mm. um, which will deal with certain amount of shade as we've said and also the fact it could be a football pitch for, for kids as well slightly rougher turf it's look out for um, things like perennial rye grass in the seed mix often they're labeled tough or utility or amenity grasses um, just have a look on the packet in the garden center but the main constituents of those is perennial rye grass which is a bit tougher and then the shade tolerant mixes contain those ones which often they're rye grass but are just um, chosen for being shade tolerant as well 
We have a question from Amanda Hempnell in Cromer, who's asking about plants for a bathroom with no natural light. She'd like to have some houseplants in the bathroom to add interest and to improve the air quality. And she's asking what would thrive in steam and can also cope with no natural light? It's a tough one, this, isn't it? Because plants need light to photosynthesise. What that means is the chemical process that uses light to fix um, the starches to make carbohydrates. And it's the carbohydrates or sugars that the plant uses to grow. Um, So without the one, you don't tend to get any growth and they tend to go backwards and die. Um, So I think the option perhaps here is to consider how you might introduce some artificial light and grow lights. Um, Now, we're not trying to make a propagation unit out of a a commercial greenhouse here. So I'm wondering about almost if there's room for a terrarium or something where a little grow lamp can be fixed in. Um, These are things that uh, can cope with the steamy environments anyway. So obviously we've got this terrarium set up. It's important to say that the lights are not the same as your household lights. So household lights and any type of light they produce light in different color ranges we don't see it we tend to see it as white but the colors that are more blue and red are automatically produced by lamps that are specially for growing so if you go online and look for grow lamps you'll get bulbs and these are things like um, special fluorescent lights and there's also led versions that are now more reliable and also they're a lot cheaper than they were as well and you can get one of those that literally you affix in the top of the, the terrarium. I think one of the things she did ask about was improving air quality. The only unfortunate thing about this is by putting it into terrarium, the uh, air circulation around the bathroom will be much reduced. But plants grow very well in a terrarium, so it is a way of having the display and enjoying them. Mm. And and uh, also garden centres sell a nice range of um, houseplants in in a range of pot sizes so depending on the size of your aquarium um if you've got a smaller one you you can get tiny little tots they call them houseplant tots and you can get things like peperomias and um pileas so there's a spot spotty leaved plants in sort of pinks and whites and greens and little ferns um would all be perfect for, for that sort of environment so really quite often you're looking more at foliage effect than than flowering but very very effective robert wayne's emailed in i put my back out last year digging up potatoes have you any suggestions of how i can dig for victory without injuring myself i have an allotment in lincolnshire well it's funny he should mention this because um we have actually been doing some scientific research into how to dig without injuring and indeed uh, becky and myself were dispatched not too long ago to coventry university where we were forced to wear skin tight black ninja suits and then had little uh, bobbles like balls stuck all over us uh, where these special infrared cameras could read our movements then we were asked to stand in a bucket um, quite a large bucket of soil and dig um, so that they could work out the stresses and strains on our bodies um, we weren't the only volunteers but uh, we probably had the well certainly an entertaining day out <laughs> of the kind of activity you would not want to do down the allotment in one of those little black suits um but we have had the results becky haven't we so yeah so we have um so it's it's all about 
you know, kind of not overstressing your body. So not having too much on the actual spade because it's that that's the weight that you're putting on your lower back by actually doing that. It's kind of making sure that you're not doing too much movement of twisting, keeping the spade close to you. And actually, as my, my old lecture used to say, ergonomics, ergonomics. So actually working out, am I reaching too far with that spade and, and making yourself stable on the ground? So nice soft knees and just gently doing it and getting yourself into a good old rhythm with your digging. I think that's it, isn't it? We, it was very much about rhythm. Um, later on in the experiment, we also dug quite large plots and we realized that also having little breaks even if that just kind of leans means leaning on your spade rather than going off for a coffee is a good way of kind of straightening up and letting things flex out again yeah and, and relaxing and stretching when once you finish it's a bit you are doing an exercise so it's a case of keeping warm once you've finished digging and then having a little bit of a stretch i mean i, I myself do yoga so i always you know, have a good old stretch afterwards with a few moves that i do at yoga I think we will get tempted to write. I've got kind of half a day. I must get out and get this done. Um, but taking it moderately steady, particularly if you're not doing this kind of activity every day, is really good. It is a, a significant activity digging. Um, looking at the calories burnt an hour is about 600 calories that you use up. And if we take something like squash, that's around 800. So we're not far off some really serious activity if you're going for it so just by pegging it back means that if you're not kind of uh in athlete mode for your digging it should mean that you don't stress things out and you do not get the injuries well i take rather a different approach all this fantastic research came a bit too late for me because i damaged my back when i was practically a teenager doing horticulture and, and doing everything that you just said that you shouldn't do so my approach is more of a no dig, completely no dig vegetable garden, but that, that's rather a different type of horticulture. Um, so, so there are ways, if, if you have already done the damage, there are other ways of, of enjoying your garden. No dig's great in a vegetable patch, isn't it? Because you can put down the cardboard, put the mulch on top and let the worms do the work of carrying that organic matter and nutrients down into the soil. Yeah, let them do the work. Definitely. We're still doing more work and more research in this area, on, particularly with the digging and other gardening tasks. Have a look on our website at the Health, Horticulture and Happiness page and there's more details. We'll be hearing more of your gardening questions in this podcast next month. If you'd like to know more about the plants or topics discussed, why not have a look at the advice pages of our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. Here you'll also find contact information for the team, plus details of how you can become a member of the RHS so you can use our advisory service for free at any time. Or if you're not a member but fancy taking your chances, email us directly at podcast at rhs.org.uk and we'll pick a selection of listeners' questions to answer in this programme. Although daylight may be in short supply this time of year, it's still a wonderful time to get out and enjoy a refreshing walk in one of our beautiful RHS gardens. It's a surefire way to beat the winter blues and there are now dedicated winter walks at every site packed with scented flowers, colourful stems and intricate leaves and barks to lift the spirit on even the dullest days. More details can be found at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens.
one annual must-visit event for many garden lovers is, of course, the world-famous Chelsea Flower Show, an extravaganza of horticultural excellence featuring exquisite displays by international designers, nurseries and trade stands, a visit can be a truly inspirational experience. This year, the theme underpinning much of the show is the diverse ways that horticulture can improve health and happiness, both on a domestic scale, in hospitals, schools and hospices, or, as with the lemon tree garden, on a global level in refugee camps. Growing together can improve well-being and provide welcome respite from difficult circumstances. Last week, Director-General Sue Biggs hosted the annual RHS presentation revealing some of the highlights of this year's show to journalists. The podcast team went along to learn more. Really big welcome from me to all of you, and this is actually our 105th Chelsea. Unbelievably. There'll be 29 gardens at Chelsea this year. And that breaks down into three of the categories, 10 large show gardens, we've got eight artisan gardens, and I'm really pleased to say this new category has just, is just going down a storm. The space to grow gardens is now 10. All of this, these 10 space to grow gardens are going to go all along Royal Hospital Way there. Of really, it's gonna be such a fantastic new run. They were really inspired by the Radio 2 Feel Good Gardens because those got such a fabulous response at Chelsea last year that we really wanted to introduce a new category. So we decided to not continue with Fresh, to be there for a few years. And now this new category space to grow on this wonderful vista all the way along in front of the Royal Hospital. And it's all about smaller gardens, taking home ideas that really make sense to you. RHS Director General Sue Biggs. At this time, when gender equality is headline news across the globe, the RHS are proud that garden design is one area where historical inequalities are being overcome. One thing I am personally delighted about is this. Who was here in 2015 when I bleated on about women being more in horticulture? How many were here? So I know... I can just judge. So about half the room were here then. So we had a shout out, if you remember, for why were there only a handful of women then? And if any of you have rapidly gone through all of those, are all the designers at this year's Chelsea. Now, I swear to God, we didn't do this deliberately through the garden selection panel, but we are literally 15 male and 15 female. Now, how perfect is that? So I'm not even sure it's the gender gap is closing. I think the gender gap has closed. And I think as an industry and as, and as sponsors, some of whom are in the room, I think it's really great news that our industry, if not some of the other industries in the world, we have done a really great job, I think, at trying to do everything we can to really encourage between all of us a good balance that everybody can come and design, everybody can come and win medals at Chelsea Flower Show. Designer Matt Keatley is designing the RHS Chelsea Showpiece. My name is Matt Keatley, we're at the M&G headquarters and I've been asked by the RHS, having been appointed to do a garden at Wisley, to then represent said garden at Chelsea 2018. The garden is a health and wellbeing garden. The garden at Chelsea is called the Wisley Feel Good Garden. This is a subject that's very close to my heart, especially as my Chelsea journey started with the Help for Heroes garden ended up becoming a recovery garden at one of their recovery centres. So we've seen it firsthand how gardens can also help from a physical and mental well-being perspective. So it's a really strong thing to be able to do, help people recover, help people become at ease with their surroundings just through what we implement, through what we design. There are so many ways, not just gardening but being outdoors can help, whether you're 
working in gardens, walking through them, or, or just going for a walk in the park and appreciating the wider landscape, they, there are so many benefits that come from that. It could be something as simple as you feel more relaxed if, if you walk through a garden. I, I certainly was this Christmas when I had my eldest daughter running around with a trombone her godfather decided to buy for Christmas. We took a nice walk in the park and instantly, instantly felt more relaxed. And that's just it in its very basic terms. I mean, the primary thought behind it was I have to represent the title as best I possibly can. So visitors at the show need to look at the space and feel at ease. When they move through it, they need to feel completely comfortable in their surroundings and, and forget about the buzz of Chelsea, forget about the hundreds of other people looking into the garden and actually just enjoy it for what it is, both in terms of the planting, the textures in, in the materials and, and also in some of the sculpture we're going to be using. I'd like to think the planting is going to play the, the most important role. I think that's going to be the thing that attracts people to the corner of Main Avenue. It's, it's going to be the thing that encourages people to engage with my space and almost scream out to them to move through it. And that's one of the benefits of doing the RHS garden is members of the public can use the garden. The sensory aspect of gardens has a huge part to play, be it colour, texture, the sound of gently moving water. All of those things can put people at ease and that's something that we're hopefully going to put to the test with the Wisley Garden. Designer Matt Keatley. 2018 also marks the anniversary of the arrival of the Empire Windrush to Britain from the West Indies. Baroness Floella Benjamin has teamed up with Chelsea medal winners Birmingham City Council to present a garden that promises to thrill visitors with a vivid taste of the Caribbean and convey how immigrants have used gardening, especially growing their own fruit and veg, as a way of growing a taste of home to ease the culture shock of moving to another continent. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled that this year it's the 70th anniversary of the arrival of the Empire Windrush. The Windrush is very symbolic. It's about people who came here in 1948, listening to Britain saying we need people to come and help rebuild Britain after the war, hospitals, transport, factories, and a lot of people came on the Windrush. And I have created a garden for Chelsea this year to celebrate the 70th anniversary, working together with Birmingham City Council, who are the sixth gold medal winner. So we're hoping this year it'll be the seventh gold medal winner with our display. So it's going to be very symbolic about what it was like to be in the Caribbean, the journey, and then arriving here in Britain, and the symbolism of what it was like to arrive and see all the things that you hadn't seen before, like big red buses, the trains, the underground sign, telephone boxes, all the things that you hadn't seen. We're going to have things that when people walk through, they will think, yeah, I'm in the Caribbean or I'm back here in Britain. You know, we're going to have flying fish, we're going to have dolphins, we're going to have a bed of blue flowers to represent the sea, we're going to have lilies, and we're going to have allotments. You're going to get children involved and families involved. I go to a lot of schools and encourage schools and school children to get involved with gardening. Because a lot of school children, a lot of young kids especially, are suffering from anxiety and depression. And gardening is a great way of calming them down, of helping them to understand about how to think long term, to feel connected with earth, to feel connected with the beautiful nature that is around us. So that's my job. And through the Windrush Garden, there'll be lots of elements like that, where you feel calm, you feel appreciated, you feel as if you can celebrate people coming here to Britain because you must remember a lot of Caribbean people I'm one of them I'm a Windrush baby we were asked to come here 
we were, we were British citizens. But, so this whole garden is there to educate. And it's great that we're going to be in the discovery zone. So it's a place to discover. All the plants will be grown here in Britain. And Darren Share, the wonderful gardener at Birmingham, he's so enthusiastic. Everything I tell him that I'd like to see, he's finding ways to depict it through flowers and fauna. And the garden won't be just showed at Chelsea, it's going to be shown across the country too. You can read more about plans for this year's Chelsea Flower Show on the RHS website. There you can also find out how to buy tickets for this and the other flower shows coming up this year. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember you can follow us through our social media. For now, from me, Guy Barter and all the podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress Robotic Lawn Mower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.